Well, hey everybody again. It's good to, like I said, it's good to see you all. Um, I hope you've had a, like I said, I hope you've had a good week and um, yeah, that you're surviving this, uh, this part of the semester. This, this is definitely the hard part of the semester, at least for me. Um, so I hope you're well. Like I said, it's good to see you. Hey, who's enjoyed, who's enjoyed some cold weather this week, right? Yeah. Well, I'm from Colorado. I love it. It's just like, yes, this is what I keep my blood thick, I keep saying. Um, I don't know, it's just the old, old crotchety dude in me. Um, so yeah, it's felt amazing to not be hot all the time. So um, like I said, I hope it's been a good week. I hope it's been a, a restful um, time in the midst of all the, the blitz. Uh, so if you've been with us um, the last couple of weeks this semester, we've been studying the book of Philippians, and we've been looking at the topic of joy. What is the book of Philippians? What does the Bible uh, have to say about joy? And... Um, does it talk about joy? And so tonight we're going to continue this study. And to get us started, I want you to think back over your week. I want you to think back over the stuff that you've done this week, um, just kind of the consistency. And so maybe like this week, you, you know, obviously you got up, you got out of bed, you went to eat breakfast, either at Taos or at home or something like that. And then you go to class, maybe you go to the gym, um, then you go hang out with some friends, maybe eat some dinner, hopefully you ate some dinner. You go to bed, you get up. You go to class, you go to the gym, and if, you know, it starts to feel like the grind, right? This week it starts to feel like the rhythm becomes a grind. There's this kind of this pattern, the same old, same old. And some things are different, but a lot of it feels the same. Same roommates, same family, same people, same books, a lot of sameness. <clears throat> and for me, at least, when I get into these sorts of patterns, that sameness starts to feel like a rut. You know, like you start to be like, ugh. Man, I just kind of just plod along in this rut of a semester, a rut of life, and um, it can start to feel a little angsty, right, when you're in that rut. How many great 90 movie, 90s movies were made by the premise of, like, the teenagers just like, I'm getting out of this tiny town where nothing happens and I'm going away to the big city or something like that, you know? Or how many, you know, songs were made where they're just talking about how incomplete right now is and how I'm going to make it big and I'm going to get out of here and um, you know that we laugh at that or maybe maybe we don't laugh because it feels really real but what I'm trying to say is I think that for many of us that feeling of like the rut the pattern and the incompleteness in our life is something that we all experience pretty consistently like where we look around us and we think is this it like this is life this is college like what what am, is this why I'm alive? Like, all right, I'm in college. Why am I in college? To get a job. Why do I get a job? To make money. Why do I make money? So I can provide for my family and retire. And then why retire? So I can die. <laughs> like, like, is that it? Is that why we're here? Is that what's, is, you know, there's this, the, a great poet, maybe you read him in your English class, said, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. You know, we're just kind of like plodding along, doing our thing. And I feel like he's on to something when he says that. Like, we're quietly desperate, you know, all the times we feel this incompleteness in our lives. We feel the like, oh, there's got to be something more. Oh, there's just something doesn't, there's got to be a little bit more than this. This feeling of incompleteness. I feel like I feel that a lot. Now, I'm probably on the more angsty end of this. I'm definitely on the more angsty end of the spectrum. (laughs) But I feel like that's something that most of us feel at some point in our lives, this feeling of incompleteness in what we're doing. And um, 
So what do we do about it? What do we do with that feeling of incompleteness? Well, the passage that we're going to look at tonight, I think actually says a lot about that feeling. Um, and I think that uh, the Christian faith has a lot to say about this. In fact, the Christian faith says, yeah, you're right. That feeling that you have of incompleteness, of needing or feeling like there's more, that's actually legitimate. There's actually something to that. And then it says there's actually going to be a completion to something that's coming ahead. So let's read the text, um, and then we'll dig in. So I'm, I'm going to start here at verse 12. I've provided the, first, uh, the verses in front of that from last week because I'm going to make reference to it, but I'm going to start here at verse 12 um, in your folders and your bulletins. So uh, read with me, if you will. It says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, you could also insert sisters, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any one of you thinks otherwise, God will reveal it, that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, Son, Spirit, we pray that you would be present with us tonight as we look at your word, that it would peel back the layers of our own hearts, uh, and that it would reveal a little bit more of your character, of your love, and of your good plan for us. We pray that your spirit would use it to open our eyes and open our hearts and to make us more like Jesus, make us more hopeful, make us more joyful. We pray this with confidence that you will do it because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that I want us to notice here tonight as we look at this is that Paul actually validates that feeling of incompleteness that a lot of us feel. That feeling of incomplete. In fact, he calls attention to it. Look at it in verse 12. He says, not that I have obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on and make it my own. Now, one of the big questions in this passage among the academics is what is the this and what is the it? What is the referent? What is the direct object? And there's a lot of different options that commentators and scholars will put forward on this. Um, but I'll try, to, I'll try to summarize when I think that the this actually refers up, refers up to previous passages and to the, to the previous passage that we looked at last week. And that's why I provided it, because I think I want you to look at it. So then what is he saying here? Well, if we go back up, it says... At the, I didn't provide this part, but it says um, that the goal of the Christian life is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then it says in verse 10, that I may know him, there's that surpassing worth, know him, that is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So what is he talking about here when he says this? Well, this, this, this that he's talking about is sort of this, this, this catch-all summary of what I'm going to call the, the collection of future promises of the Christian gospel. The collection of future promises of the gospel. And within that, I would lump, as you can see here, definitely the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead, but also the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And if you were here last week, you remember that that's more than just intellectual knowledge of Jesus, but it's actually personal knowledge of Jesus. It's the difference between saber and conocer. It's knowing Jesus personally, intimately, 
So it's the resurrection. It's knowing Jesus personally, face to face. It's final salvation from sin. It's removal from all suffering. That's what the this is here. It's, it's the whole collection of promises that we believe at the end of time, God will complete. That's what he's, prom- that's what he's talking about in the this. And the Bible talks about this all over. The whole Bible is talking is full of descriptions and meditations and longings for the end of time when God will make the incompleteness right. It talks about it in one way. It says, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death will be no more. Neither, sh- there sh- neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Or elsewhere, it talks about how weapons of war, like at the time, swords and spears will be turned into weapons of agriculture and peace and prosperity and flourishing. Or when predators like lions lie down with prey like lambs. And, and, and there's this, this element of everything that we want to be complete and we know isn't complete right now, even from our little angsty grind all the way up to the cosmic scale of something's wrong with our world, all of that will be made right. That's the this that he's talking about here. Now, here's the important part. Paul admits here, he says, I haven't obtained that. I'm not perfect. This world isn't perfect. And here's his point, that this, this collection of promises of perfect completion, it hasn't happened yet. That we all still live in a world that is afflicted and affected by sin and influenced by sin. We live in a world where war still exists, where there's oppression and abuse and substance abuse. And it's not just those big things, it's also the incompleteness that we feel in our own lives, right? This feeling that this life just isn't what I expected it would be when I was four or five. This feeling that, is this all there is? Something feels like there's, there's something missing in this life, this, this grind. And, and Paul says that it's, he says this even in his own personal life. Look at verse 13. He says, brother, Brothers or sisters, I do not consider that I have made it. There it is again, this thing, this collection of hope. I have not made it my own. He says in his own personal life, it's not complete. It's not done. There's, there's an incompletion there. And I don't know about you, but I definitely feel that incompletion where I see my own imperfections personally, where like, I'm not as gentle with my wife as I'd like to be a lot of the time. Or... Um, I'm lazy when I should be working, and then I overwork when I should be resting, right? Uh, or maybe, you know, you know what I mean? There's those personal places in your life where you're just like, man, I'm incomplete. Something's wrong. There's something that's not quite right. And then you look around us into the world, and we really see the incompleteness, right? We see abuse of women, the abuse of children, substance abuse, Parents separated from their children. I mean, this stuff's in the news all the time that our world is just not the way it's supposed to be. It's incomplete. It's wrong. Divorce. And then on a national or global scale, it just gets worse. War, genocide, natural disasters. Pick your, pick your day. Pick your news site. The, everybody recognizes something's wrong with our world. Here's my point, and I think this is Paul's point. Heaven isn't here. 
Heaven isn't here in our world. And that should be obvious, but it needs to be said because in most of our world, even on campus, there's this feeling of like this world that it is, this world is what it is. What is, is, is another way of saying it. The stuff that is, that's all there is. There's no other world. This is the only world that we have. We can't, you know, really, we can try to fix it, but we're really stuck with what we have right now. And the Christian answer is that that is absolutely not true. That there is actually another, that there is something wrong with this world and that something is actually being done about it. The Christian world, world and religion says, no, there is an incompleteness. And that incompleteness is felt in your own personal life. It's felt in your own family. It's felt in your own school, in your state, in your nation, and in our world. That they're, all of it, all of history, is not the way it's supposed to be. We aren't perfect. The world isn't perfect. It's all incomplete. And so the first thing I think Paul is pointing out here and it's hidden, but I think it's there, is that this passage should prick us towards the incompleteness of the present. But if the first thing it shows us is the incompleteness in the present, I think it gives us another thing. It shows us a vision for the complete future. The incomplete present, but a vision for the complete future. Well, What do I mean by that? Where do I see that? Well, I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying that, yes, this future It's not complete, but boy, he presses on towards it. Why? Because he says Christ has already started to make him his own, so he's trying to make it his own. He's saying there is a vision, there is a complete future that I press on. And so he says here in verses 12 and 14, he says, I press on for it. I strain for it. There is something ahead that will fix this incompleteness. And what is that something ahead? It's, it's this, it's, that it's nothing less than the solving and the removing of all incompleteness and the presence of total joy and total peace, total harmony in the presence of God. It's the physical resurrection from the dead. It's perfect face-to-face communion and intimacy with Jesus. It's everything that feels wrong and incomplete in our world, gone and everything made right. Paul says that there is a complete vision, a complete future for the world that he calls the upward call of God or the goal. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This goal of being with God and not just in some sort of like with halos and harps and clouds singing, but real presence with God, even in a physical sense, even in a physical sense. The Christian faith has taught in history that, that history is not just some cycle or some just person, purposeless, random people doing things in history and nothing really meaning anything, but that history is actually going someplace. That God made the world and that it was created right. That we as humans and sinners broke the world. That we, that we created the incompleteness. And then that God has been in this process of fixing it. We call it redemption. Buying back, fixing the world. And that that is going to be done. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration or consummation. Finishing the complete vision of what is good and what, can, what is true and what is joyful. Well, what does this complete future look like if he says there's complete future? Well, I'm going uh, to give it three, three things. First, it's the resurrection from the dead. 
This one, it feels obvious, but it can feel really trite to us. And this idea of resurrection from the dead, that can have a lot of baggage in our world today. We're like, what? Resurrection from the dead? That's impossible. Dead people don't come back to life. Um, Or it can just have this feeling of like, again, like I said, just sort of like going up and like movies are made about it, just going and getting halos and harps or... We don't really know what to do with this, but Scripture is very clear when it describes the resurrection that it is physical. That your body, yes, you and I will die. That is a fact. We don't like to think about that as young adults, but we will die. But the fact if, if, if Christianity is true, and I think it is, it means that you're not going to stay dead, that your body will actually come back to life. It's not just some sort of spiritual, ethereal existence, but it's, it's like fleshly. We will be resurrected with fleshly bodies that are complete and perfect. Fleshly, but perfect, physically and emotionally. Second thing, it's total communion with God. And I have so many students when I meet with every week who say, Jonathan, I struggle to believe the gospel. I struggle to believe in Christianity because I can't see God. Or I can't pray because I feel like I'm just talking to the air. What am I doing? I can't see God. Or how can I trust a God that I can't see? How can I trust a God who I, I don't understand if he's actually, I don't know if he's actually there. That's the whole point. You're feeling the incompleteness of right now. When you say that, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. You're feeling the incompleteness of the world. And Paul says that a hallmark, one of the, one of the, One of the indicators of of the complete future to come is that it's no longer living by faith, but it's living by sight. That that we will actually be face to face with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is also God in heaven. That will actually happen just like you and I are face to face right now. And it will be joyful and intimate and personal. And it will be eternal. So first, a resurrection from the dead. Second, personal communion with God, and third, an end of sin and suffering. It'll be heaven. That's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about heaven. It's heaven that will be perfection objectified. No more sin, no more shame, no more crying, no more guilt, no more abuse, oppression, depression, isolation, anxiety, hurting. None of that will be present. It will only be warm fellowship, feasting, Eating, drinking, playing, singing, good work. Everything that's good in this world, none of the bad and so much more. That's what heaven will be. That's what is the complete vision. That's what Paul says, I press towards that. I work towards that. That's what I'm pressing for. It's it's a complete future. It's the goal or the prize that Paul presses forward to. It's amazing what a goal can do for us. When we know something is actually coming, when we have a goal, it actually, it, 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 it lights us, it propels us forward. So last week was a really big week for me. Some of you were involved in that week. I had my ordination service, which was really fun. It was a big honor to be a part of it. And so I had my family who was in town, and my brother and I went on this killer bike ride, which was awesome. And uh, I'll t- I, t- I can brag about it later. Um, we had like four days of fun and food and football and family. It was awesome. And the great thing is, I knew it was going to be great. And I, knew, and I was like excited about it. And so I knew that if I could just p- 
push forward, push through the first four days, then man, like Friday's coming and it's going to be great. That goal pushed me through my week, right? I knew that I had an exciting, fun weekend coming. My family and everything. And so I knew that I could push through. Now, that was just a four-day weekend. Imagine if the goal is of eternal perfection, right? Everything right, nothing wrong. If that is our goal, if that is the upward call to which... Man, if that's the goal for what we're living, holy smokes, that should light a fire on us. And that's what Paul says. It presses us. We can press towards that goal. As Christians... We can be excited about talking about the world to come because it means, oh, yes, this is what I'm looking forward to. Ending of all the incompleteness, perfect harmony with each other and with God. Now, some of you might think, but Jonathan, I'm not sure I am a Christian. I don't know if I can believe in this future. I don't know. I need proof. I need evidence. Can you prove it? And that's a great question and something that we'd have to talk about more um, maybe over coffee, but I, I can give maybe two quick pieces of evidence. Two quick pieces of evidence for this. They're not proofs, they're not watertight, but I think they're pretty strong. The first is, first piece of evidence I would give is one, just the incomplete feeling that we all have, right? The feeling of incompletion that we all have. And I'll, I want to show this, I want to read a quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a, um, a brilliant, basically a brilliant thinker in the 20th century. And uh, so I'm going to read this. And so listen closely here. He says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly desires satisfy it, that does not prove that this universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Do you hear what Lewis is saying in that? That he, Lewis is actually saying that that feeling of incompleteness that you have in your life, that actually points towards a satisfaction of it. That that actually means that there is something that completes the incompleteness, the feeling of incompleteness. The reality of dissatisfaction implies that there might actually be satisfaction. Second thing that I was, second piece of evidence that I would give. And this evidence we call the design argument. And it's this. It's that our universe is incredibly complex, right? Most of you who are in, you know, in some sort of the sciences, you understand this. That, that our universe requires an incredible amount of fine-tuning. Fine-tuning that if just one little thing was off, nothing would actually be upheld. So we're learning more and more in physics about strong forces and weak forces and gravitational con- con- constants. And that if any one of those is off by, I mean, the tiniest piece, matter just falls, falls apart. 
And it's not just in physics. The same is true of biology. The same is true in ecology. The same is true in chemistry. Whatever it is, pick your area. It's that the system is so fine-tuned that if the smallest piece is off, it can't exist. And so some people way smarter than I am, and I can show you these stats if you're interested, have shown that the probability of the world just happening, just sort of appearing with the probability that it needs to exist. Get this, the chances are one in 10 to the 100. One in 10 to the 100. Now you can talk to Rigo about how big that number is. That number is, statist- that number is statistically impossible. It doesn't, this world cannot just exist. And if it doesn't just exist, then there's, man, this world does exist. Something actually is here. And that points to a purpose. It points to someone who designed it, who fine-tuned it. Now, again, these don't prove Christianity. They're not watertight, but they indicate that it is at least reasonable to say that God exists and that he's pushing our incomplete present towards a complete future. So if that's true, that God is pushing an incomplete present to a complete future, how are you and I right now to respond in 2018, in, in October at New Mexico State University? Well, Paul tells us, and that's, that's, he spends a lot of time telling us, he says we are to press on with that. We are to press on with hope. It's clear from the text. He says, I'm not perfect, I'm not complete, but I press on to make it my own. And he uses the metaphor of a runner. He says, now how many of you have watched a track race or maybe run in a track race? Yeah, a couple of you. So it's, it's an image of a runner who's running hard. He's straining for that finish line. And then just before you know how they do it, they're like, try and punch through the line, get through the line just to be the first one through. And and look what he says here. He says, forgetting what lies behind. He says, I don't care what happened back there in that part of the race. That part's done. What does that mean? It means that all of us have baggage that we're bringing into our walk, into our run. He says, Paul says, don't let that slow you down. Don't let your past life, don't let your past decisions, even if they're just yesterday, don't let them slow you down. Just run for heaven. Run for it. Don't let anything that's back there slow you down. But then he says, straining for what lies ahead. The images of an athlete in their kick. You know, an athlete, when they're running the course and they get to that last part of the race and they hit the kick and they're just like, I mean, they're giving it 110%. They're full afterburner, legs screaming. They're just like grimacing. They're just like, man, running. He says, that's the goal. That's the goal. Straining for what? The upward call. I press on for the goal of the upward call. This complete future. A sprint to the goal of heaven, of knowing Jesus, of being known by Jesus, of resurrection, of perfect joy. Well, how do we do this? How do you and I actually do this? How do we press on? Well, time is short, but I'm going to give three things. Three things to how you and I can press on. First, it's obedience. It's obedience, and we're going to look at more of this next week, but part of straining on means fighting for greater and greater obedience in our lives. It means greater and greater conformity of our lives to God's law. It means killing sin in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts. It means that our sexual lives, our tongues, our emotions, 
our secret thoughts, all of our lives need to be conforming and growing and becoming more obedient to God's will. Second of all, it means perseverance. The Christian life, it, is, it really is a race. It's not something that you can just snap it out and you're done. It means it's a grind, man. It just takes, it takes effort. It takes grit. It means pushing through pain. It means pushing through confusion. The Christian life is not necessarily going to make your life better. Because the world is incomplete, because we live in a world that's... If you're a Christian, I'm not, I'm not going to stand up here and say your life is going to make sense or make perfect... It's not all going to be perfect. That's the whole point. We live in a world that's not quite the way it's supposed to be. And so we have to persevere, knowing that there is a complete future coming. And finally, it means hope. We're called to hope. And hope is the confidence that the presence is incomplete and that the future will be complete. And it's a sure expectation that God will realize that. Christian hope admits that right now is not complete and then it moves on to confidence that God will fix, that God is fixing this world. If your Christian life is nothing else, it, it contains this hope. It contains the hope that, man, my life, my world is not the way it needs to be, but God is going to fix it. I trust that, that God has fixed it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. One of the songs that we sing in RUF all the time, it says it, best, it says it best. It says, When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my Father's face and in His bosom rest? I am bound, I am bound, I am bound for the promised land. That's what this text is push, talking about. It, it's about pushing on, straining for the promised land, knowing that it is God who is going to bring us there. So with that, friends, bring your life further into obedience. Persevere, press on in your semester, in your Christian life, and hope. Know that God's not done. In all the things that feel incomplete, God is not done. Man, as we begin to do that, boy, we'll become a joyful people. We will slowly become a people who are more and more filled and a and affected by the joy that God has for us. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for this text. Thanks for what it shows us. That It shows us that sometimes when we just wonder what in the world this world is, it, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And that you are in the process of completing it. That you're not done. Father, give us the perseverance, the hope, and the obedience to press on to the upward call of knowing Jesus. May that be true of us more and more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.